It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am looking forward to talking to my guest today, joining me again for the second time, mm-hmm. Matt Hines. Actually, joining me again for the first time by joining me for the second time, Matt Hines. Matt is founder and CEO of Hines Marketing, uh, author of a number of books, and we're going to talk about one of those today, um, Full Funnel Marketing, his most recent book. So, Matt, welcome to Accelerate. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So, uh, yeah, you are a repeat offender on the show. So maybe just take a minute, introduce yourself uh, for people who didn't hear the first episode. Sure. Yeah. My name is Matt Hines. Uh, founded Hines Marketing about eight years ago, and you know, I'm just a I'm just a B2B marketing geek. You know, we uh, we we focus on helping companies build, manage sales pipeline, uh, mostly on the B2B side, um, and uh, just have a ton of fun doing it. So you help companies build pipeline. So do you work? Primarily on the marketing side or primarily on the sales side? We do. I mean, most of our work is on the marketing side. You know, the 90% of the time we're brought in by a CMO or, or a VP of marketing or in some cases a CEO that, you know, knows the marketing team needs needs um, needs some help just sort of raising their game a little bit. But, you know, everything we do is really focused on sales pipeline contribution. Uh, you know, I don't care as much about traffic and even leads. What I really care about is, uh, you know, marketing contribution to pipeline and closed deals. So it's a challenge and it, it becomes uh, sort of a, a stake in the ground with a lot of clients that say, hey, listen, you know, measuring email open rates isn't going to cut it. Measuring purely marketing qualified leads isn't going to cut it. Uh, we need to be focused on the numbers that matter, uh, the, which is really the same numbers that, that, that matters to marketing. And that's really where the topic of full funnel marketing came in. It's where the title of the book came, is really challenging marketers to think beyond traditional activity-based marketing metrics and put their, their, their scorecards, as well as more importantly, their actions and priorities uh, in line with uh, the numbers that the organization cares the most about. Yeah, well, I think the gauntlet was sort of thrown down by uh, the Challenger customer, that book, latest book from CEB, about uh, where they put a lot of onus on marketing to be, you know, if the customer's not engaging with uh, sales until they're 57% of the way through their buying process, who's influencing them on that first 57%? And that's, that's really marketing. It is. I mean, it can be sales as well, but I think, you know, the, the, the lines continue to be blurred between sales and marketing. And I think that the organizations where marketing is still treating itself uh, like, a, like a cost center, uh, where they continue to earn the moniker of the arts and crafts department, uh, I think those, <laughs> those days are waning uh, for marketers that really want to continue to have an impact, uh, you know, in their careers. <laughs> I love the arts and crafts department. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, you could make the argument. You've seen this in some companies already that they're their proactive outbound calling teams, their BDRs, their SDRs, whatever you want to call that, in some cases they're part of marketing. And mm-hmm. you could look at that legitimately and say, well, yeah, that is that really is creating awareness more than anything else. It's not really selling, it's creating awareness. Maybe, hey, that appropriately belongs in marketing. Yeah, I, I can make an argument either way, and, and I think in the in in really well integrated organizations, it's not a turf battle. It's just uh, it's you know it, it's it's one contiguous process. Um, you know, marketing if if marketing owns the inside sales function, then I think it, it's a great thing because now marketing doesn't just own the marketing qualified lead. Maybe they then own the sales qualified lead, uh, and so does that put them the full the, the farther into the pipeline marketing owns the more. 
just the, I think the better decisions they're making, the more revenue responsibility that they sort of are embracing and that they actually sort of have. So you or know, they, it, or they share. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's funny. I was at a, I was at an event last week, and we were talking about um, attribution. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, you know what works and what doesn't. And someone raised the question of saying, in an ideal scenario where sales and marketing are, are fully integrated, does attribution matter? If everyone's focused on the same outcome. You know why? Why? Why worry about who's you know who's, who gets the credit? You know, marketing versus sales because sales doesn't worry about that, right? I mean, you've got you've got a, in specialized world, you've got the BDRs, you've got the field sales teams. They're not worried about saying, well, here's how much the the BDRs contributed, here's how much field contributed. No, they're 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 just interested in close deals. So it's an interesting. I don't I don't know that I would go that far. You know, looking at sort of marketing and sales and their sort of distinct responsibilities, even as part of an integrated process. But it's an interesting thing to think about, just in terms of you know aligning both groups around the same objectives. Well, yeah. So well, the, so think about a future scenario where you have the teams really fully and effectively integrated. Do you still pay commission to salespeople? Yeah. I think you do, um, but I also think that the marketers should be, you know, uh, paid on performance as well. I don't think that marketers necessarily need to be paid on commission, but I think their bonuses should be tied um, to um, to pipeline impact and measuring pipeline impact by ultimately by revenue, though. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess yeah. some organizations it's a nice stepping stone to say, listen, like we're gonna we're ultimately moving you towards, um, you know, being responsible for closed deals. But simply measuring, you know, marketing contribution to pipeline. I mean, I'm increasingly. I was at a conference last week, and I was I was delighted uh, and also pleasantly surprised when I heard multiple marketers when they when I asked them what their primary metric was. It wasn't MQLs. It wasn't traffic. It was a percent of the of the pipeline goal attributed to marketing. Um, you know, that may not be the perfect metric, but man, is it a step in the right direction. And how are they measuring the attribution? Uh, well, in some cases, they're just looking at lead source. In other cases, you know, they're using tools like uh, Bright Funnel, uh, like Visible, like Full Circle Insights, uh, FunnelWise, and others to sort of look at what's happening across campaigns mm-hmm. and look at you know weighted contribution of everything from events to content to demand gen programs to nurture programs. Um, you know, what did people interact with, and what's the causality between that and someone's movement into a more active state? So you're more of a marketing guy, and you, at least by description you said up front. Is is um, so? What do you think about this whole thing that's in the challenger customer? 50, customers are fifty seven percent of their way through their buying process before they engage with sales for the first time. Well, at least at least in the complex B two B sphere. Yeah, I mean, so so here's the way I think about that. Like, I don't really care about that stat. Because what really is happening is like you, your buyer is beginning their process at zero percent, right? So what are they looking for? What information are they seeking to educate themselves? And why can't that be content from your company? Why can't your marketing team create content that becomes a core part of the educational process? Why can't your company position your sales reps as experts, as consultants, as, as, as people that can guide those early stages. So, you know, left to their own devices, buyers are waiting for the majority of the process to get done before they feel like they need to engage sales, in part because that's how long it takes for them to say, okay, I finally figured it out enough that I want to talk to someone about a product. I want to talk to someone about solutions that exist. What if you could have the pre-solution conversation? From marketing, can have from sales, can have from both sides. So those number, those those percentages are meaningless to me for an organization that embraces the idea that they can earn attention and engagement as early in the process as they want. 
But is that through a cold call? Can be, sure. I mean, I, I actually think the channels are sort of secondary to how well do you understand the different personalities, the different personas in the buy, in the buying committee internally, um, and what what are the what are the what are the messages or themes that that they care about when they're sort of at that first challenging the status quo stage of the buying journey. Um, it could be a cold call if you've got the right message and the right and the right approach. Uh, it could be an email. It could be an event. It can be. I mean, the 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 the, the Channels and tactics are secondary to being precise around the persona and the specific content tied to the stage they're at in the buyer journey. So, what was the impetus to create your new book? Um, you know, we, we've we've had a pretty robust content strategy for our business for you know eight plus years. It's just you know I think it's just to start with, it's just um, you know we didn't have a marketing budget. We needed to generate business, and so we started just using the free tools we had, which was um, a WordPress account and um, <laughs> uh, social media channels. And uh, you know, the last three or four books that I've published have been um, basically curated sets of blog posts in a particular order for a particular reason. Uh, and, and there's something to be said about a a, a a full book uh, format that actually gets people's attention, that actually is able to drive leads for us. Um, and it also helps us tell a broader story. And I think we're particularly proud of this full funnel marketing angle because it allows us to really evangelize that broader opportunity uh, for marketers to embrace uh, the entire funnel, not just their traditional top half. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there's a lot of sales content in it. There is, yeah. No, I mean, again, like I said, we, you know, we will, we will blur that line. I, I, uh, you know, I, I run a, a weekly radio show now called Sales Pipeline Radio, and we feature far more sales professionals than we do marketing professionals. Uh, I think marketers, for those marketers that haven't carried a number themselves and uh, you know haven't been in sales, which is the majority of them, uh, you you have to immerse yourself in the sales world. You have to, the more you can understand the perspective of the sales organization, the better off you're going to be. The more effective your marketing is going to be, especially when it comes to sales enablement, especially when it comes to really integrating operationally the work you're doing as a marketer with the sales organization. So we try to sort of cover both of those and even to the point where like sales enablement for me, I mean, I think traditionally it has been a sales driven tactical administrative role. I think sales enablement is one of the most important marketing functions in B2B organizations today. Uh, you know, marketers who embrace the opportunity to make their sales team more effective, to make them more efficient, to help them increase conversion of opportunities into closed deals. Um, that is a brave new world well beyond just throwing some collateral over the wall. Uh, but I'm but excited to see the impact that, you know, marketers are having on that realm. Okay. But in that you're, Sales enablement, oftentimes sales operations responsibility. Uh, yeah, I, you know what? It's interesting. Yeah, I've you, the answer is yes. You're right, but I I don't think sales operations has traditionally been a very strategic function either. Right? I think a lot of sales ops teams is really is really another word for sales administration. And you've got you know people in more of an administrative reactive function um, that are just you know supporting the sales team with whatever sales asks them for. Uh, I don't believe sales enablement is simply just sort of a ticketing system. Whatever sales asks for, they create. Sales enablement is understand is is Looking at how sales operates, observing where the bottlenecks are, identifying what content gaps exist, and being more strategic about filling those gaps and, and addressing the most egregious bottlenecks in the process to increase your yield. So how do you see, from your perspective, what does the appropriate alignment of sales and marketing look like? You know, take a, give examples of you know organization where you've seen it work really well, and you know how do they how do they build this relationship? It's funny you know when you're talking about how marketing needs to 
you know, be able to put themselves in sales shoes. And so on. you're basically, you're talking like sales guy, right? They got to develop empathy for their internal clients, if you will, right. for sales. So how have you seen it work most effectively, give an example, where this alignment is occurring? Well, in, in the best examples I've seen, it starts with a common set of objectives. And, and very literally, I mean one spreadsheet. A spreadsheet that says, here's the deals we need to close, here's the pipeline we need to get there, and here's the leads we, leads we need to get there, right? You have one common lead to opportunity conversion rate and a single opportunity to close conversion rate. And so marketing is no longer off on their own with their own set of goals, with their own math, with their own understanding of what they think their lead goal is, which may have nothing to do with what the sales pipeline requirements of the organization and the sales team. So that single set of objectives is critical. But a single, I was go just going to interject it, but it's not like sales is always right, correct? I mean, sometimes, I mean, how do they, how does marketing get their input? So they're not just following sales's order, but they're saying, look, we need a discussion about what's the most effective way to, you know, approach this, these accounts, let's say. Yeah, well, that's the second part, right? I think, as I say, you got a common set of objectives. Now we need a common set of definitions. If we think we're going to get 25% conversion of opportunities into closed deals, what does that imply about what a qualified opportunity is? What is the makeup of a qualified opportunity? These, you know, if, if you have not done this work with sales before, or if your sales and marketing teams have not done this level of integration, this is not a half hour conversation. You know, no, this, no, may, no. this may be a go off to a retreat somewhere with padded walls so you can, so you can get, you know, so you can you know get get the, get in the octagon and like wrestle it down, but come out of there both with both sides enthusiastically supporting the single goal and the single the single uh, uh, you know attack plan moving forward. I mean, that so, yeah, be, I mean it, yeah, it, it, I mean you, you may do that, but you also got to do it on a weekly basis at a minimum to keep that conversation evolving and growing. Well, you you do, but that foundation of what are our numbers and what are our definitions uh, of opportunities and leads, um, you know, those should not be changing every week. Now. You may go and execute one week and say, okay, that didn't work the way we thought it would. Um, you know, that marketing campaign didn't work. That sales outreach didn't work. Our approach to appointment setting isn't working the way we want to. Like that's going to happen to your point on a, on a weekly basis. But you bounce that back up against, okay, here's our goals. Here's our approach. Um, here's the things that we know uh, to, to be fairly constant. And you work from there. Okay. So let's jump into your book a little bit. So, um, I started taken by one chapter you had about uh, several chapters actually, but the uh, first one is is uh, sort of germane to what a little bit we we're just talking about is seven reasons why your SDRs aren't making quota, mm-hmm. and just want to sort of go through that because I think it's it's good common basic sense that you talk about that a lot of times people overlook some of these. So first one is just talk about is they lack discipline. So a question for many. Many, I think, where many managers get confused is, you know, they have activities, they try to lay down the law, but but they're not instilling the discipline. So how do you, how do you instill the discipline? Well, this is hard. This is hard for anybody. It's hard for me. You know, I mean, like, I, and I've got a, I've got a pretty defined disciplines uh, to do list every given day, and to stick with that, especially the things that take a little more work, is difficult. To be consistent about that, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways different people are motivated. I've seen some SDRs. I remember, I'll, I'll never forget one. Uh, her goal was to make 20 calls uh, by nine o'clock in the morning, and if she did that, she actually would place a piece of like Dove chocolate like on top of one of her monitors, and she stared at it until she made 20 calls, then she could. Eat it, you know, <laughs> I and so, love it. Yeah. And so it sounds kind of parochial, but it's like, okay, well that worked. Right. And so, um, or, you know what, like I'm going to, I'm going to turn off all my distractions and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to make calls for 45 minutes. And when I may finish 45 minutes, I can go up and get an extra cup of coffee because I really need another cup of coffee, but I'm not going to do it until you do these things. So, um, sometimes it's just the structure. 
right? It's the, it's the environment you come into. Like, what do you need to actually be focused? Turn off your distractions. Don't turn on CRM until you've made X number of calls. Avoid your email, whatever it is. But it's also just a mental construct of being able to sort of put blinders on and get the work done. Um, you know, if you don't have that mental discipline, your mind and your body and your attention will gravitate towards any un- any number of things that might feel more interesting. Right, and but you're you're talking about solutions on sort of individual level. I mean, have you seen any sort of you know process oriented, systematic way that that people coach or can help their teams with this? Well, there's a couple things. One is just time management, right? I mean, you know, if you if you if your day is littered with meetings, then you're not able to really get any kind of momentum. So really setting up chunks of time where you are going to be able to focus, that's something you can set up in advance and something that can be scaled across teams. Um, you know, I also think that there are some tools uh, that are really built to provide this kind of structure that can kind of keep you disciplined. Uh, you know, whether you're doing InsideSales.com or Velocify or SalesLoft or Outreach, I mean, you know, different tools are right for different organizations and their cultures. But but these tools are meant to be better rep-oriented overlays to CRM mm-hmm. that, that help that that you know that that help if nothing else just tell you what to do next. I mean, and honestly, I think when it, you talk about productivity for anybody, including myself, it's like okay, I'm sitting here. It's two thirty on a Monday. What do I do now, right? And if you can answer that question for anybody, but especially if you can answer that question for inside sales, where you're doing, you know, you're repeating your activities on a pretty frequent basis with different prospects. That process and those tools can be really, really uh, key to performance. All right. So, this good answer. So, the second uh, factor you'd brought up was that SDRs don't understand customers or industry. Mm-hmm. And again, here seems to be sort of bifurcation because a lot of companies where, quite honestly, they really don't ask their SDRs to know very much about the customers or the industry. They're you know trying to sell that meeting or that demo. Mm-hmm. So. What's the mix ideally that people should be looking for? I mean, how far? And I know this is a this is a moving boundary. I see it all the time in companies that the handoff point between SDRs and account execs is evolving, yep. and SDRs are sticking with it longer and longer. So, um, yeah, what do companies need to do to onboard their people, and make sure that they're really getting the training they need? Well, I mean, training is a key part of this, right? I mean, I think you know, very very rarely do we see a consistent part of training and understanding of who your customers are and the industry they exist in. Um, and there's a macro and a micro element of this. You know, one is if you're selling into, let's say, if you're selling to residential real estate brokers, um, you know, you got to help people understand like what's the landscape, who are their competitors, what are the roles people play, what do the politics look like in in organizations, and you know, there's a foundation that's going to be similar for most of the people you're selling into that you can use as a basis to start that conversation. I use, I say macro because every industry has its own little nuances and you sort of make one mistake and you can look like an outsider. You know, I'll use real estate as an example again in 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 uh, in the residential real estate space, realtor is a trademarked proper noun. So what the National Association of Realtors would like you to do is is spell it in all caps and put a circle R at the end. Now that you know, uh, you know, isn't something that people always do, but at a minimum, they want you to at least capitalize the R at the beginning of realtor. If you write copy or if you send an email to someone in the industry and you lowercase the R, you are you are screaming from the highest mountain that you don't understand their industry and that you don't respect their industry. Right or wrong, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had arguments with people about AP style that I will I cannot capitalize R. That listen, like you don't want to do it. That we're going to look bad, right? So those those kind of, you know, not only understanding your customer and understanding the persona of who you're calling into, but those little things, man, that can sometimes make a big difference. So are there 
I know there are some apps coming out. I just wondering maybe you have recommendations for people listening that that help companies test and assess the sales readiness of their SDRs. I mean, there's some really good tools. Um, you know, Higher View is one. Um, Saleshood is another um, that aren't just you know testing reps readiness for getting into the field and getting into the calls, but also our ongoing training tools We're finding ongoing training, ongoing interactive content that gets reps engaged. I mean, I think, you know, the, the key is to make sure that you're not just doing a you know, quick informal 10 minutes in a sales stand up and hoping that that does it. Hey, it's not documented. It's not reinforced. Anyone who missed the meeting or wasn't hired yet for that meeting is going to miss that content. So having, you know, having a platform, whether it's a shared drive or, you know, a SharePoint somewhere or using a tool like like, you know, uh, you know, the higher view or um, or saleshood can really make a difference. So, saleshood and higher view have sort of ongoing digital training. It's a platform for it, sure. I mean, you know, you've got to create the training for yourself and put it, you know, put it in the context. But I think the idea is there's an it's a platform for ongoing training, ongoing new training content, as well as a quick and easy repository to find past content um, that you may need, either for a refresher for yourself or uh, to to bone up on if you're new to the organization and want to catch up on what everyone else already knows. All right. So the next issue that you'd listed, which is gets back to this sales marketing alignment, is you say that you know the SDRs lists suck. <laughs> they do. Yeah. So who's responsible? Uh, well, because it it's, on it's not clear cut, right? Some companies the reps have to build, in other cases marketing's providing. Well, you know, now we're back to the to the question of attribution and like, you know, whose fault is this? And you know, is someone's got to own it. I don't really care who, but someone at the beginning needs to say, "Listen, you know, I've had some sales organizations say we own prospecting, we own pipeline creation, we own the list." And so, um, some in many or many more organizations, you've got marketing that owns that. The 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 solution is not that different, no matter who does it. Um, you know, who's your target? Do you have the right person? Do you have correct contact information? Um, if you've got old lists where all the phone numbers don't work, well, that just doesn't work, period. So, you know, someone's got to go fix that. Finger pointing doesn't help. So where are you seeing, because, you know, companies run into this all the time, as a recommendation in terms of list management, list hygiene, who, who should own that? I, I, I uh, in, your, in your recommendation, who, who yeah. should own that? I think marketing owns that. I, I think marketing owns the list because I think I think it's the it's the same list that you're market doing outbound marketing to. You're doing email. You're doing drip campaigns. Um, that list is maintained, and it should be the, maintained in the same systems that sales is accessing it as well. So I, you know, I think I think marketing has a responsibility from a from a context standpoint to make sure that is as accurate and as up to date as and comprehensive as possible, so that you can do segmentation, so that the sales team can quickly learn about someone before they make a call, and make sure that when they do make that call, they reach the right person. Okay. So next one on your list was their pitch sucks, and uh, I guess you know a lot of people would say, well, why are they pitching, right? Why aren't, why aren't they asking a great question to start with? So when you're saying their pitch sucks, what were you defining that as? Well, you sort of alluded to it there, right? I mean, a lot of organizations will tell the SDRs, your job is to set an appointment. So they will immediately do whatever they have to do to get the appointment. There's not really any um, patience built in to try to build a foundation of need. When we work with inside sales teams, we often say, when you're following up with the lead in that first call, I don't want you to bring up the product or service at all. Don't talk about it. If they ask you a question specifically about your service, you can answer it, but I don't want you to bring it up. I want you to have a conversation that is a guided needs discovery call that uncovers the, the objectives the organization has, the gaps between their objectives and their execution and realization of those objectives. And identifies an opportunity cost of either achieving or not achieving those objectives. 
basically in that first call, I want you to challenge the status quo. I want you to give them something to think about. So all of a sudden, what was a nice to have or a I didn't think about it is now a hmm. This may be something I need to re- address and resolve. Okay, so back um, to sales marketing alignment again is in your your mind and your recommendation. Who who comes up with those questions? Is that a marketing or is that sales? That's sales enablement, which I think is marketing. Yeah, I, I, and, and, I, and this isn't. So look, I mean, this. I'm not saying marketing because I want marketing to do. This isn't a power play where no, I think no, marketing no, you're not. comes in. Because no, we're talking um, about. Full but integration think, where yeah, attribution I mean, this, is not this, important. This is, I mean, this is the core for me of full funnel marketing. This is marketing stepping up to the plate and becoming a more strategic player in the revenue performance of the company, right? If all marketing is doing is making sure that the business cards look pretty and that the trade show booth looks nice, like that's interesting, but not sufficient. Like I, I think, I mean, that's this is why like I look at marketing and say, hey, listen, like you find the places you can provide value in the organization in the sales process and you fill those gaps. Now that may, that may shift how people think of marketing, but if it, if it's words coming out of sales reps mouths, if it's contacts that we're calling, I mean, these are all, I mean, it, it, it stripped down to their fundamentals, like call lists, contact lists, copy, like these are marketing's responsibility. And if they can impact the efficacy of those efforts in front of the sales team, I think that's a huge win for marketing in the organization. Yeah, I mean, efficacy in front of the customer, I think you meant to say. and it, it, Absolutely, right? I mean, so, yeah, too often, oh, there's a stat that came out, Some study, somebody did a study, and I saw this about a year ago, is that saying that sales reps spend 37% of their time basically repurposing marketing content to provide to customers. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and think the, about so think about that. A third of their time, whereas they had working more hand in hand with with marketing and again, set aside the territoriality and work together to come up with something that works for the customer, a huge effectiveness increase. I agree. I agree. Yeah, and, and I think um, you know, I think look, I mean certainly marketing or sales organizations can do this for themselves. I just really like the idea of marketing doing it um, you know, on behalf of the entire organization. Yeah, well I do too, and I think the prerequisite, though, is they have to get out. They've got to talk to customers, got to meet the customers. They got to talk more to sales, understand what they're learning from the customers. So it's, I think, part of the issue is sales. Much like there's too many salespeople that are still suspicious of marketing generated leads. You know, they have that same suspicion of marketing generated content, if you will, that they apply to their customer. And that we need to get to a point where that barrier disappears. I agree. I totally agree. All right. So we'd start touching this next one, which is that that they. Uh, push prospects too far too fast. Mm-hmm. But it seems like we have these, too often, we still have these sort of perverse incentives set up within SDR teams. As you said, it's, as we talked about before, it's just it's just getting the meetings, just getting the demo, and it's it's, uh, it's not very measured in, those, in the, the approach. It's not. Um, and I think that... Uh, Boy, I think you know we 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 all we all want deals to close faster. We all want you know you know, the sales cycle to shorten, but very few of us actually have any control over when the deal closes. Um, you know, just because you want to move the prospect from first call into qualification doesn't mean the prospect's going to be at all ready to do that or at all willing to do that. Um, so part of your job, I think, as as a uh, you know, as an organization is to understand the buying process, understand the steps people go through, you know, build some fundamental value and demand and need up front um, and then execute on that. So last point you had is, is lack of empathy because this is one, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is pervasive. You know, we love talking about emotional intelligence and EQ and so on in sales, but, but I'm always 
I guess I haven't seen anybody really do a great job of, of training reps in becoming more empathetic. Yeah. I mean, so, so in your experience, I mean, what have you seen as some keys that, that maybe work that you can give to the people listening? I think, you know, I, I hate to be a broken record, but you go back to sort of your understanding of your, of your audience, you know, your, 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 your developed personas in turn, in no matter what format that takes to understand, you know, what keeps people up at night. I mean, I know that's sort of a proverbial question, but if you actually have the answers, if you actually know what the two or three things most commonly, uh, that are the, that are the pain points for your, for your audience, you can ask questions around that. You can say, how's that going? Like, uh, um, you can let people talk about, you know, and qualify for themselves, the challenges around those things. So, um, you know, sometimes simply actively listening is a form of empathy. Uh, I see way too many sales reps that will ask a question, let the reps or let the prospects start answering, and they're not listening to the answer, right? They're trying to figure out what their next question is. And so even when they get a buying signal within that answer, they didn't listen. They didn't hear it. They're moving on to the next question. So they totally missed an opportunity to create a connection that can actually, that isn't about selling, that's about, you know, identify, you know, finding common ground to your mutual benefit. So, you know, there's a variety of ways to, to, to execute on empathy, but it, come, but it all is rooted in how well you understand, you know, your target audience. Yeah, and I think that, that part of that, too, is, is, and I think we talked about this earlier a little bit, was just you have to start with a service perspective, right? As a salesperson, mm-hmm. you're providing a service. Yeah. And if you do that, then, as you said, have the right questions, then that, to me, that, that is really the key. So if you can train your salespeople to lead with questions, yep, yep. then Agreed. you go a long way towards developing that, that capacity for empathy, let's say, in, in, the, in the sales reps themselves. And so a couple more questions. Um, so related to the book, I mean, you, you had a, a great uh, article in there about measuring selling time. And because this is one of my passions is is measuring selling time, and give a give a nice plug for an application called Rescue Time, which which helps that. But but talk a little bit about the importance of measuring selling time. Well, I think very few companies understand what percent of their sales reps' time is spent actively selling. Uh, I think you know there's if you not only understand what percent that is, but also what makes up the 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 non-selling time, you can start to chip away at things that really should not be keeping your reps uh, off the phones. Uh, you know, there's always going to be time spent not selling, right? There's always time spent learning and training and practicing, uh, preparing to sell, preparing for to to talk to your prospects, but you know, you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, the incredible amount of time that prospects or that sales reps spend looking for content, creating and customizing content. Uh, the top three wastes of time that we've seen, you know, pretty consistently for sales reps is creating content, looking for content, and just spending time updating CRM. Um, you know, you're not going to eliminate all three of those, but there are a number of things you can do to dramatically decrease the investment in time reps spend with those. And look, I mean, if the, if the average rep is spending 25% of their time actively selling, even if you can't get it to 80%, what if you can get it to 35 40%? I mean, across an entire sales floor, that's an enormous gain in productivity. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's, it's an enormous gain in potential productivity, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so, yeah, it gives you the opportunity that you didn't have before to sell more. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, because um, yeah, part of the thing that I think people need to really start keeping in mind, because this is, this is something that, that okay. there's going to be more conversation about in the industry is and this this focus on selling time really begins to put you in a position where you can think about this is 
ultimate measure of productivity in sales is the amount of revenue produced per hour of selling time. Uh, true. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. But and and I can guarantee almost no one looks at it that way. Uh, there's some people to do, and I I worked for years in an environment where uh, we we're commercial companies, but we had some work we were doing for the DOD Department of Defense, and so we had to track everybody's hours, including sales, okay. and we had to track the projects they're working on. So every time we had a new prospect, it was a project had a number. So I knew down to you know, the half hour what projects people were working on and what prospects and customers. And it gives you an insight into what true productivity is. So I, th- I think this is for people who are thinking about, gosh, how do we recover lost selling time? It's an important first step if you really want to increase your productivity uh, to be able to do that. So that's a, that was a very effective, very effective chapter. I like that. Um, so just sort of wrap up with some basic questions is, is Gosh, you talk to a lot of people. You're out there in the industry. You've got huge social followings. Um, yeah, what's your take? What's what's the single biggest challenge that are facing sales professionals today? Yeah, I was at a CEB meeting last week, and this question came up, uh, and there was a debate over whether it whether the the single biggest challenge is the external selling environment or the internal selling environment. And what they meant by that is, you know, CEB has always said there's like five point four percent, five point four people on average involved. They just in, updated it. Six in the point, six, six point eight now. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's almost seven now, right? And so you know, it you know the ex, the, the selling environment within your pro, if the selling organization continues to become more complex. I think you were finding that buyers are becoming more risk adverse, and so the bar to get something that they actually are willing to take a risk on is getting higher. But there was equal argument that the biggest challenge for sales reps is their internal selling environment. You know, what do you have to do internally to get a deal done, to get it through your own legal review, to get it through your own, you know, to, to find the information you need to customize a solution for your prospects? Uh, you know, the, the, the research from CEB made it, ex- it clear and quite painful that, that many reps consider their own organizations their largest impediment to success. Um, obviously, unwittingly, uh, I don't think any organization wants to do that. Um, but I think um, I think purchase path. If I were to summarize those two together, externally and internally, uh, path to purchase and eliminating roadblocks and obstacles is going to continue to be to to be a high focus area as 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 the selling environments continue to just get more complex. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective, and I I mean my take on that is is that again based on my own experience is working with lots of companies is that those using CEB's terminology is those reps who are best suited to be challenger reps also work internally best as well yeah um so all right so that's good so if you could um give a single piece of advice to a salesperson today what would that be you know, I think it'd be to sell the hole, not the drill. You know, find find what your customers really care about and sell that as the outcome. You know, your solution, your product is a means and to an end. And it is you know, when you sell that, that is when you get a commission check. But you will not get a commitment from a prospect to actually move forward to your product or service unless they believe in the outcome that your product and service represents. Uh, so find find that outcome. Find that need find that commitment that they'll make on their own behalf. Um, and that's going to be the foundation of getting yourselves far more deals across the line. So let me ask a follow-up question on that, because this is, this is one that somebody had posed to me 
oh gosh, yesterday interviewing somebody else. And their question was, well, why? This because you pose sort of the eternal, <laughs> eternal question, you know, selling the the hole, not the drill, is why why are we still talking about that? I mean, why the need has been known about that for forever, right? In sales. So why is it that there's no sort of continuity of of uh of knowledge about that, or why haven't we been more successful as an industry in inculcating that sort of basic perspective into our sales reps? I think we could probably spend a whole another hour talking about that. Um, you know, I think we'll uh, have you back on. Yeah, it sounds good. so. Uh, I'll be like uh, I'll be like Steve Martin on Saturday Night Live. I just I show up every season. <laughs> yeah. Just keep it. It's setting the record for appearances. Matt That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, th- I think there's a lot of answers to that. I think one that I have been seeing more often is that when people people think they're doing it, they they legitimately think that they're that they're pitching sort of an outcome orientation. When in fact they're still doing a product pitch, I, I think a lot of organizations are really having a hard time differentiating between the two. Uh, I, I did a, I did a, uh, I did a workshop with a client uh, about a month ago, and we encouraged them to sort of use the challenger model to sort of apply a couple of their deals and sort of create that upfront challenge, the status quo business case. Mm-hmm. And half, literally half the team had a really hard time making the case without bringing up their features. I mean, like they, they kept talking about their features and their product like as part of the pitch. I'm like, ah, you shouldn't have to do this. Like your features are simply a means of doing what the customer should already care about doing. So put it in those terms, put it in their terms. And so I think, I think it, is, it is just, even though we believe it, even though I think everyone would say, yeah, sell the whole nut drill, it makes a lot of sense. I don't think everyone has been successful and built the rhythm and built the muscle to be able to actually put that in practice on a consistent basis. Yeah, it gets back to it. I had a talk recently with Brent Adamson of CEB, wrote the Challenger, co-authored Challenger Sale, Challenger Customer. And yet he said that they found that really the core thing was, you know, you need to be able to understand what it is that your customers don't know about their business but should. And but that that seems like that's a bridge too far for salespeople to sort of come up with that. And that, I think, gets back to the topic we started off the conversation with about this, how marketing and sales have to align. And if it becomes part of your sort of corporate id, if you will, that this is, this is the question that, you, that you're trying to solve for your, your mm-hmm. prospects, mm-hmm. then perhaps maybe you get some continuity in this. But, I mean, it's, I don't have the answer. I was just... I, Love talking about this because it's 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 a challenge that we all have. Well, if there if there was a definitive answer, we'd probably as an industry we had made more progress on this, right? And I, I think the answer is different for different companies depending on their culture and the way they're set up and 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 the history with of which to which they've done sales and marketing in the past. Uh, but it, but I think um, it, it is it is clear uh, that, uh, that that this is not something that we have really solved uh, effectively. It's clear something we're still struggling with. Uh, it's clear that you know too many organizations still very much drinking their own Kool Aid uh, and, and assuming that prospects have already made the leap in understanding that organizations have done themselves like over and over and over and over mm-hmm. again. Interesting. Well, Matt. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, could you tell folks how to find out more about you? Sure. Uh, just everything circles around Heinz Marketing. Uh, Heinz like the catch-up marketing. We're just uh, at HeinzMarketing.com. Uh, our Twitter is at Heinz Marketing, and you can reach me at Matt, M-A-T-T, at HeinzMarketing.com. Excellent. Well, again, thanks for being on the show today. 
And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And one easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate a part of your daily routine, whether you listen to your commute in the gym or make it part of your morning sales meeting. That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Matt Hines, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.